Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMCs podcast. My name is Laura Edwards and I'm a GP and one of the medical directors at Wessex LMCs. And today I'm joined by John Perry. Hi, John. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. Um, And I've asked John to come and have a conversation with us about how we cope with the ongoing stress uh, that is all around us at the moment. So John comes to us with, and I don't know the collective noun for a set of master's degrees, but I, I don't think it gets used that much, but he is one of those rare beings with a, uh, I'm going to call them a clutch, a clutch of masters. Um, so he's got one in social policy, health psychology, psychotherapy and education. Um, and he also brings with that a rich life experience of being in a number of different fora and seeing life from many different perspectives and angles and working with people in all walks of life. Um, and I've been on a number of courses with John. He's run uh, many courses for us at the LMC uh, for about the past 10 years. And I, I've almost got into the habit of booking a course with him before I know the title or anything else about it, because um, he brings such wisdom to situations. And I always find that I've, I've learned something and taken something away. So I'm absolutely delighted to have him with us today, um, because at the moment, uh, let's face it, life's, life's pretty tough. Um, and uh, many of you listening uh, will be health professionals uh, and it's a really tough time um, and general practice in particular has come in for a real unrelenting bashing uh, from the media and it feels like from the government as well um, and, and I've spoken to a number of doctors who said that they're tired they're tired before they've even walked in the door in the morning um, because they, they feel like they've had this onslaught of vitriol. Um, and I think it's affecting all members of our team. Uh, we're seeing it with receptionists as well, who are getting it from patients where they've been kind of ramped up by the media and, and, and there's that sense that they're kind of getting fobbed off or, or given, you know, not, not given stuff that, they, that, that is there. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I know all of our frontline staff are, are really struggling. So um, we wanted to talk with you and pick your brains, John, about whether there was any wisdom that you could uh, you could help us with um, at these tough times because they they just keep going. <laughs> we thought the pandemic was going to be done in twelve weeks, then a year, and and here we are, and it doesn't feel much easier. So uh, I, I'm going to put it there, John. What what can we do? How can you help? Well, firstly, thank you so much for that that very kind introduction, Laura. Um, part of me feels I should quit now while I'm ahead, really. Um, but but thank you so much. I, I think the first thing I'd say in response to what you said there about the particular challenges and, and the feeling under siege and any kind of onslaught, particularly in primary care, but also in other areas of, of the sector is, I think it's important to remember that there's kind of, for me, three levels of responsibility, really. There's, we, we each have a personal responsibility for how we show up. And that's just part of being a professional. And that's our individual personal responsibility. And, and perhaps we can think about that a little bit more. But also, of course, if you're a, if you're a senior manager, then you have a responsibility for the welfare and of your whole organisation, of, of your whether it's a GP practice or it's a hospital or it's a, a health centre. So there's a, an individual responsibility. But if you're a manager, you've got a responsibility for your team, and that's, and and so it's not just an individual responsibility for those people because there's a, there's a level above that. And if people in a team are struggling, then it's important that managers recognise that and that they they actually respond and offer their support. But I, I think. Really, what you're talking about is almost like the, the top level of responsibility, which is the strategic level. And that goes all the way up to the health secretary, to the 
prime minister, and as you say, to the BBC and other other media outlets. And actually, I think perhaps there's a need for make, to make representations to to those people about the impact of some of their policies, some of their messages, some of their lack of support, if you like. So I think, although we're going to perhaps be thinking about what can we do as individuals, you know, I wouldn't want people to go away saying it's just an individual responsibility. It's also a management responsibility, but beyond that, it's a strategic leader's responsibility. And um, and I think we need to think quite clearly about where the buck stops, actually, and it's not with individual doctors, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And on that very note, we're not going to go into the politics of it today, but there has been launched an inquiry into general practice. Um, And I would urge anyone who's listening that they can contribute to that. And it's asking some of those really crunchy questions about, you know, what does the future look like and how do we make it sustainable? Um, The um, uh, inquiry closes, uh, or ability to contribute closes on the 14th of December. And I would urge people to to think about making a personal contribution to that um, so that they actually have the facts about what they're trying to decide. So thank you. Thank you. So if it's okay, I'll, I'll talk about just some of the strategies that I use if I find myself in a particularly challenging situation. And, and for me, I, I tend to resort to kind of existentialist thinking. And, and I have done for a few years, partly out of interest, because I just kind of, you know, I like to read a lot and this kind of stuff I find very interesting. But also because it helped me through some challenging times of my own. You know, we, we mentioned in just our, our pre-conversation, you know, being with um, my wife's cousin as he passed away and more recently being with my dad as he passed away and thinking, well, how do I actually kind of survive this very, very challenging situation mm-hmm. that I'm in? Um, and we also talked about just briefly about the nature of hope and how important hope is. So if it's OK, we'll perhaps kind of touch on a, a couple of those things. I think for me, one of the reasons I go to the kind of existentialist position is I'm, I am quite influenced by Viktor Frankl. Uh, who wrote a wonderful book you may know called Man's Search for Meaning, and I'd really recommend it. Um, and he wrote it in Auschwitz. So this wasn't written by somebody in an ivory tower. He was actually uh, interned in Auschwitz as he, as he started writing it. And he was a doctor and a psychiatrist. And he was often, as because he was a doctor, he was often called to the bedside of inmates who looked like they might not survive the night. Uh, and he was very able to predict whether or not they were likely to survive, not primarily because of the level of starvation, because everyone was deeply starved, but much more to do with whether or not they were expressing a reason to carry on. And that what he found time and again was that those who expressed a reason to carry on typically survived the night, but those who'd lost their reason to carry on very often didn't. And he, he, he uses this phrase to kind of explain what he concluded from this, which is, he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. So, and, and, and essentially what that means for me is that if you find yourself in a very, very challenging situation, it's really important you find a reason to bear it because otherwise it is unbearable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a particular challenge for doctors and for other healthcare workers who feel themselves unsupported and under siege. You need nevertheless to see, is there some reason that I can articulate that actually makes it bearable? Because if we have a reason to bear our suffering, then our suffering becomes much more bearable than if all there is is suffering. Um, so Frankl, there really are three routes to finding meaning. And, and the first is through actualizing what he calls creative values. And that essentially means doing worthwhile work. Now, clearly in medicine, you're doing that. As a doctor, you're doing worthwhile work. And I think it's really important to keep reminding yourself of that. You know, and actually, even if it feels like the media, politicians and others don't support you, patients probably do. And the patients are probably 
I would guess, even more grateful for what you're doing now than perhaps they have been previously, because they, they know, you know, the, the, the applauding the NHS had a big impact, I think, on patients' mindset. Well, actually, yeah, these people are putting themselves in the front line, and we just need to be very mindful and grateful for that. So reminding yourself that you're doing really vital work, and that's activating or actualizing creative values. Also experiential value. So, you know, and I know it's difficult during the course of very busy days, but is there some way in which you could nevertheless, despite how chaotic and, and, and hectic your life is, find the time to appreciate a sunset or, or find the time to appreciate nature in, in what's often referred to now as an awe walk. And awe walks are just something I'm really, really interested in. Walking with a sense of awe and wonder. So it's walking without planning your next meeting, without planning your next project, walking without your headphones in and just connecting up to the wonder of nature and the fact that you are a part of this. And um, there's some lovely experiments on all walks. Um, and, and some of the findings are quite fascinating. And one of the recent ones, which actually came out from America, was uh, involved getting people into two groups. And one group were just told, you know, walking is good for your mental health. So why not every day go out for a 15-minute walk? And while you're on the walk, take a picture of yourself on your phone and submit it to us, but also report on how you're feeling. And the other group were briefed on how to do an awe walk, which is walking with a sense of awe and wonder and your connection to something magnificent and greater than yourself. And what they found was, first of all, people who were doing awe walks, and they'd been briefed to connect up to this realisation, they were a part of something much more significant. They started feeling much more hopeful and much more positive and much more significant much more connected up than those who were just walking. But when they submitted their photos, because they were, each group were told to submit photos, they were tiny in their picture, and it was all about the environment. Whereas those who were just walking, they filled their picture, and it was all about them. And that's, it's, it's really interesting for me that because it fits with some other findings from America that actually people who are prone to generating lots of low mood will often use the personal pronoun a great deal than people who are not. So they were using I a great deal and thinking about, well, how am I feeling? Well, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. I'm not appreciated. Whereas people who seem less prone to that kind of generating low mood will often use we much more often and much more, be feel much more connected up. So seeing if you can actualize those experiential values by perhaps listening to music that you enjoy, feeling the warmth of the sun on your back and all that kind of stuff, and perhaps practicing an all book. But then finally, uh, the final set of values, attitudinal values. So is it possible, even in the face of feeling under siege, even in the face of being unsupported, nevertheless to choose an attitude that's actually going to work for you rather than against you? And, and partly that's about reminding yourself of the importance of what it is you're doing. So for me, that, that's, that's, that's quite important. And if, if it's helpful if I pause at that point. Yeah, so that, there's some really good stuff in there. And I think... Um, Again, the you can choose which voices you listen to, I think is is, is another thing I would say. And um, the media are a very polarized voice. They, they have to sell a newspaper um, and, and, and it's not a great story to just say there was a nice GP and they saw a nice patient and they were both happy. That doesn't get you anywhere. Um, they do ever so often, every so often, try doing cuddly story, don't they? But but not that often. Uh, they prefer the, the big conflict stuff, which again, everyone wants to know and everyone's intrigued by conflicts. But we should remember our actual own reality. Uh, again, being being grounded 
and and also again there will there are cross patients out there at the moment and again some of them justifiably say the system isn't working for them um, and we can't all take responsibility for that some of it is the system is broken but in amongst those there are a vast majority of people who say my gp my gp is great my gp is wonderful thank you thank you for what you've done today thank you to the team or just quietly they just they're mm. saying and again that's because they've got exactly what they what they wanted and there is a temptation to listen to those louder ones the ones who are really unhappy um again we've been recruited into medicine because a lot of us are people pleasers um and uh, and so we we listened to that one voice potentially that, that was unhappy rather than perhaps let's say the 20 mm. that were perfectly pleased with what we'd done um and, and so again it's trying to get that balance i would say of of, of remembering that the minority are, are the minority and you've done something really valuable and valued for the vast majority of people out there uh, many of whom who won't say it because it's it's you, you've, you've met their needs they've had their prescription or whatever mm. it was um, and they're happy i love the idea of the all walk um i think uh, that's a great name as well if nothing mm. else i like that um and that sense of of peace i can almost feel it by imagining it of um of being out there and thinking the world the world is bigger and that's sometimes the the pull of the ocean isn't it as you stand on the beach and you look at the at the sea and it's just so vast that you get that sense again of being quite small and a little speck in the universe and it helps get your own problems into perspective absolutely um i mean thank you so so one or two other things i'd say i I mean i think that the the thing I say also kind of building on what you say is I, I do quite like Eleanor Roosevelt's famous statement, nobody can upset you without your permission. Now, it's it's a simplification. It, I, I wouldn't say it always holds true, but it's quite useful. And I think it's important not to give politicians permission to upset you. Now, I know that's easier said than done and not to give media people permission to upset you. Again, I know that's easier said than done. But I think if we can recognise that we have at least some degree of choice about who we give permission to upset us to mm. and actually to, to give that fairly selectively. You know, I think, I think you know, for me, it's, it's a little bit like for me, uh, uh, an everyday example would be I, I don't give other drivers permission to upset me when I'm driving my car and therefore they can't. And that means I'm never going to experience road rage because why would I hand over control of my emotions to a stranger whose name I don't know? You know, it makes no sense. So, you know, I'm really very selective as to who I give permission to upset me to. And I think if, if, if it's possible to practice some of that and if you hear the health secretary or Boris Johnson or anybody else or bad-mouthing doctors to think, well, actually, you don't have my permission to upset me. You know, it, it, it's just not something I'm going to give you. Um, some other things I think, you know, I was thinking in kind of preparation for this conversation, what are some of the messages I got perhaps growing up that have helped me cope with adversity? And I think one of my dad's favorite sayings going back for many, many years was, there are very few things that are worth doing in this life that are both easy and worthwhile. And that somehow when things are at their most challenging, they become more meaningful. Uh, And again, it's not something which I would say is always the case. It doesn't hold up in all situations, but it is another way of looking at very challenging situations and feeling under siege is that, that that can actually add meaning rather than take it away. Perhaps in the way that climbing a mountain, I would imagine, is more meaningful than walking up a hill or running a marathon is perhaps more meaningful than running a half a mile. Um, that actually you can, it's again, thinking in terms of the attitude we take to the challenges we face. Sometimes it's possible to take the attitude that 
in this really challenging situation, that adds meaning, it doesn't take it away. So, you know, for me, that's quite useful. Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, I, I'm not going to vocalise it in a very articulate way, but people have said you don't, you don't learn things when it's just you're in your coasting. You, you learn things from difficult places. Um, and, and you're not always grateful um, having, having done some difficult places. So you're not always grateful at the time for, for being in them. Uh, and and uh, I think I mistakenly tried to share that with somebody who wasn't a difficult place. They were going to learn a lot. And they, they, they didn't really like that either. Um, so it, it, you don't always recognize the value of where you're at when you're in it. it, mm. it, it it's not great. Um, they're horrible places to be sometimes but afterwards you can look back and think wow I I took a lot from that didn't enjoy it at the time but actually Hmm. perhaps it will save me greater pain in the future because I I learned something from 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 that difficult place Um, or or it gives you empathy in a way that you wouldn't have had before recognition for for the difficulty that others might find themselves in at another time or on a on an ongoing basis um, that perhaps you have options and opportunities not not to be in again, um, or just empathy of where people are at. And again, that can be a great gift. Um, again, I've I've used that with patients. I, I often actually describe it as a friend having gone through the experience, um, because then it's not it doesn't encroach on our consultation. And again, if they don't want it and they 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 need to dismiss it. Um, they can't accept it, then again, that's not personal. So I found that a really helpful technique. Yeah. Uh, but being able to share and name sometimes some of the feelings, especially if they're not totally socially acceptable feelings that someone might feel if they're in a particularly difficult place, um, a, a particularly guilt or something like that, that you actually name, that, that can really connect you with people. And they can suddenly kind of look up at you and go, wow, you've, You've, you've said something there that I, I haven't been able to voice that I've had shame, which is a horrible emotion to be sat with. Um, and they felt really lonely and you've connected. You, you can have a real healing effect on people for that. Um, so perhaps, again, my husband keeps saying to me, in 50 years time, I think they're going to teach children about this in school. They're going to talk about this time. Um, and it is a, it's a difficult time and it has been sustained. Um, and we will all have our journeys and our stories to tell of it. Um, and uh, yeah, perhaps we will feel like that. Perhaps we'll feel, look back and say, I, I learned something from it. We uh, mm. can't see it right now. No, absolutely. And you just reminded me, I just caught a, the end of a news item this morning about a, a rugby league player that had run 101 miles in 24 hours throughout the night to raise money for one of his teammates who'd been struck down with motor neuron disease. And although I just caught the end of the, the item, the, the whole emphasis was, you know, this was meaningful because it had been so, such a tough thing to do, 101 miles in 24 hours. How on earth can somebody do it? You know, if you'd run half a mile, it wouldn't have that meaning. But, but again, that's no justification for people making doctors' lives more difficult than they need to be. It's simply saying that it is never sometimes possible to find meaning in adversity. If it's okay to pick up on the notion of shame, though, because for me, this is quite important. So there is a really important difference between shame and guilt. And guilt is I've acted wrongly or I've acted in error perhaps I've acted imperfectly less well than I wanted to and it's just about the action shame is because I've acted in error or wrongly or imperfectly I am a bad person and I think you know it's, it's appropriate for anybody including doctors if they feel you know what I was a bit impatient with that patient or I didn't give that person my attention as I should have done perhaps to feel a little bit of guilt because that's just about the behavior it's just about the action and if you recognize this is just about the behavior then 
if there's an opportunity, you can apologize and say, I'm so sorry, I, I wasn't concentrating at that moment or I used the wrong name. Or, and it's easy to make atonement and just to put it right. But it, in no sense is a reflection on that person's character. So, you know, I would say it's really important that doctors don't feel shame. It might be you can't give patients the quality of attention you'd like to give them now simply because of the quantity of work you've got to do. You may on occasions feel a little bit guilty, but don't turn that into shame, which is a reflection on your character. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you someone who needs more hours in the day than there are. Yeah, and I think that's really important to hear uh, from you as somebody very wise, John, that has a good perspective on these things, but also for people to hold that um, and and say that to themselves, be kind to themselves, uh, because the system is overwhelmed at the moment. And some of the public are beginning to get awareness of it, and and some haven't got there yet. And again, Mm. being kind to where they're at, if they're in a difficult place and they're worried about their child or themselves, um, their ability to to have that wider perspective and share with everybody else and take a turn in a queue that's too long and too big and too <laughs> complex, it, it, it disappears. And they say, everyone else needs to get, kind of step back. And But, but me, I, I need your care and I need your attention. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, that, and that's really difficult to, to, to deal with. Um, so I think that's that's really good to be to be kind because otherwise we talk about this concept of moral injury, don't we, that of professionals, again, we've, our exams push us towards being perfect, uh, to, towards getting everything right every time um, mm. and uh, and listening to those patients deeply. And yet we're in a system where actually just the volume means that potentially we can't, we can't do that. Um, and, and that's really hard. And, and, and I struggle with that. I, I'm somebody mm. who likes things to be just so. And um, it, it is, it's really difficult to walk away from a consultation and go, yeah, I was pretty average in that. It's pretty mm. average. Um, I think that's where perhaps when there are just a finite number of hours in a day and there are finite resources to offer to patients, it is important to think about good enough rather than perfect. You know, if you had the good enough consultation, maybe that was all that was achievable and it was nevertheless good enough. You know, and, and it's, it's actually, it, it, it's one of the things that I use as a trainer is, you know, I, I don't set out to be perfect when delivering any training session because as old as I am, I intend to be better next year. And if I can be better next year, it has to follow. This can't be perfect, but it can be good enough. And by reminding myself of that, you know, I am a work in progress and so are you and so is every, everybody else, including every doctor. If you're a work in progress, not yet the finished article, with the potential to be a better doctor next year, and my guess is everyone has that potential, it has to follow. You can't be perfect right now, but you can be good enough. And again, that's really quite key, I think, to actually kind of coping under pressure. I love that, John, and I think uh, I think a lot of us could do with that across our lives as well. Again, there's pressure. A lot of us are really high achieving individuals. We want to be the best doctor, and we want to be the best mother or father, uh, <laughs> and we want to be the best wife and the best friend and the best daughter and the best. You know, and we've got a lot of them. And as you say, there's, there's still a limit on how many hours in the day, uh, and we haven't figured out a way of not doing that. Um, and uh, I think good enough and being kind to yourself. About about good enough uh, and nobody is perfect nobody is perfect are, are really really important things to hear so I, I really like that so John are there any other strategies that you've used that might help us so really the only other thing that comes to mind is is the notion of the observing self which is something again that I've practiced for quite some time and I find personally very helpful 
And it's the observing self is like when you kind of go onto some sort of observational platform and notice your thoughts and feelings from a distance. And it's using the kind of part of the mind that if I look around the room I'm in, I can notice the walls of the room because I'm not the walls of the room. I can notice the pictures hanging there because I'm not the pictures hanging there. I can notice the TV in the corner because I'm not the TV in the corner. So I can notice these things because I'm not those things. And that means I'm in my observing self. I'm observing them. I'm witnessing them. And I can go into that way of being and notice my thoughts and recognize I'm not my thoughts. I'm just the observer of my thoughts. And I can notice my feelings and recognize I'm not my feelings. I'm the observer of my feelings. And if I feel overwhelmed and exhausted and under siege, I can go onto my observing platform and notice that feeling of being overwhelmed. And I don't become that feeling of being overwhelmed. So it's, it's a useful strategy. You can so rather than kind of fusing with that feeling and making it the whole of who you are and the whole of your experience, you step into that observing platform and, and notice that feeling with the same part of your consciousness that you might notice the fact that there's a fireplace to the left and a TV in the corner of the room. You, you notice those feelings. You don't become those feelings. And Matt Haig, who wrote a, a great book called Reasons to Stay Alive, he, he uses the example of you can go out and walk in a storm and feel the wind and know that you're not the wind. So it's kind of recognizing you, you, you may well feel exhausted, under siege, overwhelmed. But if you go into your observing self, you can notice these sensations from a degree of a distance. And then they, they become less obtrusive, actually, less all-encompassing. That's really helpful. And, and again, I get that sense from talking to you around how that might work um, and that we are not our emotions. I think there's something really powerful in, in that. But this is a way of rather than just saying that sentence, <laughs> mm. it's there's a way of actually helping you to get, create that distance and take control no. and regain power. So I think that's really helpful. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. My pleasure. Um, so I'm, I'm going to draw us to a close because actually okay. already we, we've reached our, our time um, and I think we've done good enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully we've, uh, we've given some pearls there that people can think about. And um, if you have time today or now, perhaps you can go on an all walk. And um, I guess there's some resources out there that you can have a look at, John, is there that if you look up all walk on Google? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, I think that's a really nice concept to take away. And we hope that you found um, some of these other concepts helpful as always if uh, you do if you are in distress at all there are some resources out there to help you for GPs and um, for all doctors there's practitioner health um, and they have good availability and we've got really good feedback about their service but also if any of this you're thinking I don't know how to go forward with some of these things that they've talked about um, then there is free coaching available for all of the primary care team um, and that is through looking after you too and if you type looking after you too uh, NHS into Google it will take you there and you can book online uh, the appointments are virtual they're really easy to come by and um, they're with professional coaches and really really helpful um, and if you're wrestling with any of these things and wondering where to go next then they might be a really good port of call for you obviously we have uh, Wessex LMCs have a GP support and development scheme and they're also practice managers supporters as well and we've got space to thrive for the uh, practice managers too you can find all the stuff about for, for GPs in our our, um, booklet which is on our website and contains all the offers that are out there at the moment um, so thank you ever so much for listening today we hope this has helped you thank you for all the work that you are doing out there the whole practice team um, and we um, hope that you take care of yourselves and uh, that you come and hear one of our podcasts again soon thank you so much for joining us today and thank you john my pleasure Bye thank bye. You. thanks laura 
Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.